0: Listening to a Drishti Point podcast. Please visit our website for more inspiring interviews on yoga, spirituality, and wellness. Welcome to Drishti Point. Today, my guest is author of a new book—one of her new books, actually—that's just come out: "Igniting the Inner Life" by Regina Sarah Ryan. And you can check her link, com. And Regina is actually a former Catholic nun who has studied contemplation and mysticism for several years, for over 40 years now. And um, we're going to talk to Regina. She's here this week uh, in Vancouver. She's doing a book signing tomorrow at Banyan Books, and we'll, ta- we'll uh, give further uh, details on that uh, throughout the discussion. Regina, thank you, to, uh, thank you for joining me today on Drishti Point.
1: It's a pleasure Lauren. I'm glad to be here. Okay.
0: Um, so let's begin by a, a, your spiritual journey. How when when do you think that really started for you?
1: Well, I think it started as a child in church. You know, I loved the uh, I loved the church and the the burning candles, you know, and the incense and the music and uh, the, the mood of that kind of sacred space. Um, I was raised within Catholicism and so had lots of opportunities to be in the church. But, you know, there was something that uh, influenced the body and the senses and uh, sort of uplifted the heart that was different from the, uh, the doctrine, the rules and regulations, which were also a part of my uh, upbringing. So I think my spiritual journey started by being impacted in my body with the reality that there was a sacred dimension, and so it went from there.
0: Now, I find that really interesting. Even in reading your book, Igniting the Inner Life, um, first of all, the reason why I love this book is because it's incredibly heartfelt, you know, Um, yeah, Uh, but you do pay um, attention to the body, and not very many... you don't really hear a lot of spiritual teachers talking about that, so I think that's really interesting that you recognize that as such a young age,
1: yeah, well, you know, I don't know that I recognized it then, okay, I think in looking back i I know that that was that that sea that that um, reality was part of the attraction for me to keep coming back to that source. I think part of my being drawn into the convent um, at the age of eighteen was also because there was this this uh, rasa, this mood of silence and uh, contemplation that was present within the convent when I would go to visit and help the nuns on a Saturday morning, you know, and, um, and I wanted that. It, it was a refined food that went beyond, you know, wearing special clothes or doing certain practices, but rather I think that this was the way in which my... Um, my heart was captured in some way. My heart, my body, uh, the food that, what, that I sensed would be there mm. if I could explore this path more deeply.
0: Okay. And how, I mean, you know, people talk about sort of getting that call. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Was it like that for you? And how long did you um, spend time as uh, a nun?
1: Probably beginning to end, I was a little more than eight and a half years mm. as a nun. Uh, it was during the 60s. My friends were going to San Francisco to, uh, to do their trip with, in Haight-Ashbury <laughs> and, I was, and listening to the Beatles music, you know. And I was, uh, I was practicing the presence of God um, by, on every step that I would take. And I was cleaning the Venetian blind slats, chanting you know, uh, a litany of praise to God. So mm-hmm. I was learning different skills and uh, exploring the dimension of uh, transcendent consciousness in a different way than my friends were but we met up years later and we said oh yeah i knew that and i knew that and (laughs) we came about it in very different ways
0: Mm -hmm. and um you decided to leave what what sort of prompted that decision for you
1: Well, it was in the uh, early 1970s. It was during the time of the Vietnam War. I was very socially conscious as a nun, and as if if you know any of the history of that period, there were a lot of radical uh, groups within the Catholic Church, uh, priests and nuns, who were very much into uh, an anti-war stance. And so I was... um, I was involved in that kind of movement, you know, marching for peace, and I was counseling young men in conscientious objection if they needed it. I was a high school teacher. Um, And the two forces, on one hand, I had the force of sort of radical, um, radical involvement, which was personified in the radical priest, Daniel Berrigan, who was pouring... Blood on draft records, you know, in Catonsville, Maryland, and getting arrested for it. And on the other hand, I had the mystic contemplative tradition uh, personified in Thomas Merton, and they were pulling me in these two directions. I think that some people were able to bring those two together in a contemplative action type of lifestyle, but I was young, you know, I was in my twenties, and I was, uh, I, I did not have the guidance that might have helped me to bring those two together, or maybe it was just my karma at that point to be to be drawn in two directions so that I had to choose. So I didn't leave the convent because um, I didn't like it. I loved it, and I loved the women I was living with, and I, I loved the particular structure of my life. But it also seemed to me that um, it was rather limiting for me and that I was being called to something else. I didn't know what that was, and I think... Your listeners can probably relate to that. Sometimes you don't know what's next, but you know it's just you've got to move on and step into the emptiness to see what happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that takes a certain amount of trust and courage.
1: It really does. Um, yeah. And, you know, when you're doing it, you don't feel like some courageous warrior. You <laughs> feel sort of like a lost and stumbling, fumbling, bumbling person who could be really making a bad mistake. And you just sort of like, uh, you just sort of have to do it anyway mm-hmm. and you just keep, keep uh, going back to like a cry to heaven, I say, some mm-hmm. kind of a really deep prayer that calls out to, to, to whatever it is that's your source point, you know, God or the force of love or the universe or whatever and just say, please, you know, guide my journey. I'm, I really want to serve, I want to, I, I want to make a difference, I want to love. And you just something else is going to have to guide me because I don't know what's next.
0: Mm -hmm. Regina, please tell us what your life was like after, you know, you made you made the decision and the time frame between that and and your spiritual teacher, um, Lee Lozowick.
1: Yeah,
0: and that's in the Western Ball tradition. Is that my understanding? Correct. Okay.
1: Yeah. I left the convent in 1971. I was married in 1973 to the same man I'm still married to now, wow. in 2011, which wow. is wonderful. And uh, <laughs> he, he had shared many aspects of the journey before me with a similar um, background in Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we knew that we needed, a, um, we needed to have a spiritual dimension to our lives, and we actually spent some of our early uh, time together right after our marriage um, going around the country and looking for places where there was spiritual community where we felt like we could, we could plug in. Um, and we didn't find anything uh, that we were ready to move in with. And then um, somebody said to me, oh, you should go to India. And, uh, you know, supposing Jesus was alive, wouldn't you want to meet him? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, you know. Uh, there's teachers there who are kind of like Jesus and you could go there and they you could, you could meet them. So, you know, being somebody who jumps into uh, to whatever <laughs> with lots of enthusiasm, okay. I took off in uh, 1980 and went to India and stayed there for nine months and actually ended up in Pune at the uh, ashram of Osho uh, Rajneesh. Uh, we called him Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh at the time and mm-hmm. stayed there for a long time and Actually, it was the beginning of my uh, my journey to the East. I didn't I didn't end up staying um, as a long-term devotee of Osho, but what it did for me was it opened a whole different dimension to spiritual life and spiritual practice that I needed, and um, it began to open up dimensions for me, really in the body, because many of his meditations were involved in um, in dance and. Uh, kundalini breath and those kinds of things that were just so new to me Mm -hmm. and yoga so um so i had tremendous gratitude for that so that that was sort of the 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 beginnings of the work into the east and then so i guess from about uh 1970 1980 when i uh went to visit him and then uh in 1984 i met my teacher i was you know so i was i was open the finding of a guide it, it was it was really clear to me that really where I wanted to go was uh, I needed the Sherpa to take me up Mount Everest
0: Okay Yeah. Hmm. Um, what do you think it was about him that you were drawn to?
1: About my teacher Lee? Yes uh, Honestly when I first met Lee mm-hmm. I thought he was ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> That was my first thought I said Oh, come on. He would tell jokes and he was fooling around and he Uh was, you know, he was being irreverent and he was using language that I thought was just shocking from a spiritual teacher. Uh I mean, he was doing everything to provoke all the places in me that was looking for some sanitary, you know, uh, uh, disembodied spiritual force or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. He was just provoking me. But um, so I, I, I didn't get very excited about his work the first time I saw him in person. But uh, the second time uh, I heard him on the radio, actually, in a radio interview, um, I was my friends begged me to listen because they thought it was going to be just really a howl because he was evidently funny on the radio. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, someone asked him the question that had always been my question. okay, And the question was, um, what does genuine service really mean? Mm. And I stopped in the middle of what I was doing to to listen to his answer. Right. I was like, this was the... My question was being asked of someone, would he answer it? And th- there was dead air on the radio, and you know what that means. Dead right. air is like, it's the worst thing that could possibly happen. So I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and then this very fierce but... Also, um, compassionate, fiercely compassionate voice said to the interviewer, mm-hmm. "You have absolutely no idea what genuine service really means."
0: Mm. And, and that, and it, that captured you because, oh my God,
1: it was as if something had literally punched through the radio and yeah. just hit me in the body. Right. So, if this is a call, if this is a plea for good radio, you know, good radio can. Can be a vehicle for who's ever listening, really, if, it, if it's a person's right time and right moment. So Lee did not answer the man's question. He just, he just undermined it by saying in, in, in so many words, you know, you're asking me that from a place of trying to trick me or trap me or, or get, a, get a simple answer to a question which is a lifetime process. And that got me. And then I went that very week, I went back and saw him and never left.
0: You know, it's interesting um, in terms of these, you know, teachers and our expectations and judgments. Don't yes. you think?
1: Oh, so much so. Yeah,
0: and um, that's but uh, that's you know, I, I've been learning that, and I've certainly gotten that from your book as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about the actual tradition of ball. Sure. Yeah, today my guest is Regina Sarah Ryan. And uh, this is actually her first stop here with us on Drishti Point, which I'm actually quite happy with. Uh, tomorrow night, Regina will be at Banyan Books uh, from uh, 6.30 to 8 p.m. doing a talk and a book signing on this uh, new book of hers. So if you want to contact Banyan, it's www.banyan.com. And uh, there are a couple of talks throughout the week, and one wonderful one that's coming up this Thursday at Eternal Abundance at uh, 1025 Commercial Drive. Regina will be doing a talk then. You can go on to her site, reginasarahryan.com, for her uh, Vancouver schedule, or you can contact us at christypoint.ca, and we'll be happy to give you the information. So we're just going to continue our conversation with Regina. And... We're going to I'd love to hear a little bit why the ball tradition is um, calling you and um, what it's actually about what's the underlying meaning of this particular path
1: well you know I don't know that I would have ever found it had it not been that that was the orientation that my teacher Lee uh, had aligned with he was you know he's an American and uh, and yet this particular path is um, uh, a path that comes out of Bengal in India, and it's a combination of a type of um, Vaishnava Hinduism and uh, Sajjia Buddhism. That sounds all very esoteric, but it's a it's a rare mix of Hinduism and Buddhism, and it also has very strong alignment to a Sufi uh, life uh, practice, which is that it is uh, an ecstatic sect of singers and dancers who are beggars who wander the countryside in Bengal and they uh, sing and dance their praise of God. The They don't have a written scripture. They use the body and the, the exploration of the divine located in the heart of each being as the central point of their practice. And uh, they got famous, actually, uh, in the '70s or '60s, even or '70s, I guess, when uh, Bob Dylan brought uh, some of them over to uh, perform with him on some of his albums, so um, they were they are known in the West somewhat. But in the in um, the the Western bowl tradition, which was really the adoption by my teacher, um, has brought together a very eclectic mix. Uh, so my my own study covers really all traditions. I you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sufism, uh, my own background in Christianity, uh, with a very um, strong reliance upon listening for uh, for the the voice of the beloved, the voice of God within the heart, and uh, using practice, uh, a disciplined lifestyle, uh, an orientation towards uh, kindness, generosity, and compassion. Without drawing a lot of lines, the bowels were very uh, eclectic, and they did not abide the caste system in any way. So, it's a very nice adaptation into the West that my teacher was able to accomplish.
0: Hmm. What? Tell me something. What? How do you feel about Catholicism now that you've sort of stepped onto your own, you know, your authentic path here, and uh, you know, exploring and discovering very for various various other forms of spirituality?
1: Yeah, sure. Well the um the elements that are at the core of catholicism which i would say perhaps the mythic- mystical and deep esoteric roots of of catholicism mm-hmm. for me are as valid and as joy-filled and as instructive as they ever were if not more so um the person of jesus as a uh, as a divine being as a as a great, great teacher, as a giver of scripture, I mean, it's just, it's, it's utterly profound. The witness that he was, uh, the, uh, the, the archetype of, 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 service, kindness, death, and resurrection is mm-hmm. like, it's, it's. I mean, you can't, you know, you yes. can't, you yes. can't question that. It's just so profound. Sure. And so truly, um, when I went to the east and when I met uh, some some individuals uh, among great great beings I was very much at home because they lived in the same domain that I had tapped into uh, in my incredible love for Christ and it, it's a domain that's so spacious and it does it doesn't really have an individual face um, in that space in which in which uh, one enters into Jesus or we call the Christ or whatever mm-hmm. um that that place is not unique to any one human person as far as i can tell um and so that's really what has drawn me to my teacher was finding uh an an access point to that domain uh through um through his his work with me and uh, and then just you know you you when you enter into that domain there really aren't a lot of rules. But yet the it's a it's a narrow path to get there, you know. You um you can't just kinda of lay around and be be self indulgent and expect that, you know, you're gonna find your way there. Uh you you put yourself in the uh you, you walk along the railroad tracks and you keep putting yourself in the direction on the on the tracks when the train is coming and then eventually you get hit and there you are and it's <laughs> and that's you know, that's how you end up in some place. <laughs> so, um uh, does that answer your question, Lauren? It's a yeah. little roundabout way. But yeah, I'm, it is. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have great friends in Catholicism. Oh, my gosh, I have such deep, wonderful uh, men and women friends who are priests and nuns and devotees and pilgrims who, who travel you know, to great shrines throughout the world and mm-hmm. love Jesus, love Mary, and we love each other.
0: So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At
1: that level, there's no problem. right. Know? but within within a structured more uh strict doctrinaire view of the church I don't think I'd be all that much welcomed back yet. So right. Yeah, yeah. I
0: mean and that's I guess it, you know currently in the mainstream um, catholicism if you will that's what's happening. And I actually think it's a bit of a shame because you know um I think that there's a lot of things that we don't understand. I mean, that's with anything, but that one in particular, because you know, um, because I think Christianity talking about the feminine energy, even what that's done, perhaps. Would you would you be able to comment on that?
1: Well, I'll talk personally, but first, let me just um, jump off of what you've just said. I mean, I I get I get discouraged by any kind of. um, what I call rigidity, or doctrinalism, or fundamentalism—in whatever kind of structure I've, I come across—absolutely, yes. And uh, I and I also have a great trust that um, that everything goes through huge cycles. You know, you learn that in in Hinduism—the right. great, great cycles of Kali, and then Shiva destroys everything, and then it gets recreated. You know, so so yeah. So it's a bit discouraging, and I don't know how I would endure within the. The, uh, the structure right now it would be very difficult but I also know that there's some great 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 beings great men and women who are choosing to ride out the storm to walk the edge you know to even get get their hands slapped here and there by the powers that be and yet are willing to stand for their tradition not going in that direction so I just praise and thank them for that, and I'm not one of them, mm-hmm. you know. I've, mm-hmm. I've chosen a different way to do it, but um, I really, really love and thank them for that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then as far as the feminine, that's the second question. Do you yes. want to say something first?
0: No, no, please, go ahead.
1: Well, one of the reasons that um, I began um, to expand my my view of uh, in in the mystical tradition the religious tradition after i left the convent was that i felt a very great need to um to uh, explore the feminine Uh, and i call it the feminine pole of divinity i don't think god you know the ultimate as a has one face and i don't think it is male or female and i think it's you know it's way beyond even just some yin-yang connection of both, you know. I mean, it's like it's it's everything and, it, and more than that. And yet, um, as an individual embodied, I didn't have a lot of feminine uh, instruction, role models, role models of instruction. And so I was looking for that when I left um, the convent. I was looking for the great mystics of Christianity uh, beyond just a kind of a surface knowledge of what they said, And that's where I started. I started reading, finally, after so many years. I started really reading Teresa of Avila, and Hildegard of Bingen, and Nechthild of Magdeburg, and you know, Hadwich of Antwerp, I love all these women's great names, and and just really finding out radical, a radical view, you know, that God is as much Mother as God is Father, and one of them even talking about, you know, uh, just being held to the breast of divine mother jesus you know and um so you know that kind of uh that kind of awesome nature-based uh worship of god through the feminine body and as a woman was so exciting to me and then that just took me to other great women in other traditions because Mm. i felt like i i needed them i needed to know who tara was you know, I needed to know who Kali was. I needed to meet uh, great women who embodied this—the courage, the strength, the darkness, the sexuality, the creativity, the silence, the solitude, all the motherness—all these faces that I call the feminine, you know, that characterize the feminine pole of divinity. So um, that was one of my books, uh, actually. The The Woman Awake was my exploration and and sharing with uh, my readers about my journeys and the many great women uh, that I encountered in this journey. So that's uh, that's something I hope that your listeners will read someday.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting all around. That was really beautiful. Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my pleasure. Before we go on to another break, let's talk about Lee, your teacher, shall we? Yes. He passed recently, did he not?
1: Yes, he did, in November November 16th, he just passed away.
0: Mm. And now how old was he, and what was the experience you know, for you?
1: He had been uh, working with cancer for three years, and um, during that time he never stopped, uh, really. And uh, he actually became more fierce as a teacher with his students in those three years than than prior to that time. And he'd always been a... Very a fierce teacher, fierce in the sense that um, he didn't let anything pass by when um, it was based in one's illusion. So, if you held yourself too small, uh, that you got your head cut off, you know. And if you held <laughs> yourself too big, you got your head cut off. Sure. And it was you know it was a, it was a, a, a radically uh, confrontive path, but also a, a path of deep um, of deep gentleness, really, because it was ultimately based in compassion. He was the divine mother who was, who was both carrying his devotees and also um, constantly, like Kali, cutting off the heads of illusion. So we, um, so we, we burned, you know, under his, um, under his, his gaze for the last period of time, and and for me, 26 years before that. Um, I had been, I had been in his uh, in his regard and had worked very closely with him. So I have just so much gratitude. And now uh, and then he left us in uh, in the physical body in mm-hmm. November, and really, um, you know, I mean, I'm both ecstatic and I'm broken. It's um, yeah, it's a mixture, you know, like any kind of grief. In one moment, I I deeply deeply feel that nothing has changed, that he's he's guiding me ever at the level of the heart and then um you know the next day i feel oh you know i i miss him i just miss him and uh, i i miss that physical presence but i also have tremendous gratitude that i got to live through the passing of my teacher because I got to live with him or near him for twenty six years mm-hmm. and work with him and now it's as if he's given me the next step in my spiritual work, which is to embody and live without him in the mm-hmm. physical form. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, they say and eventually the teacher's gonna have to, you know, cut you free. Sure. And see if you float, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um whereas I still feel deeply aligned to him, his teaching and the other members of my Community, my friends there. Uh, yes, in in a, in a way, this is this is his gift to me. Uh, how will I live now? And uh, so my work has just begun.
0: Wow. Well, they say that often. I think that um, I've heard that like by two teachers. There's a, a actually a Catholic priest. His name is I think Father Joe. And he had a rapport with Mother Teresa, uh-huh. and he talked about how he felt that she was with him more so now yeah. than yeah, and as well as you know uh, my teacher, Doctor Reggie Ray, yes. and how you know Chogyam Trungpa Rampoche often <laughs> visits him. Yes. So it's just fascinating to know that, and yeah. it's I, I, I it's like God, what's what's that like?
1: Yeah, you know. Oh, well, you, it you
0: just.
1: You don't know till you go through it. It's, I guess uh, it's it's really um, if if you have bonded with your with your teacher, if you've bonded with a an access point that of guidance and help, uh, then even when your teacher is alive, and even if you're seeing them every day, walking through the office or something. Uh, that's not really where the work goes on. The work Mm -hmm. always goes on in your heart.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The work
1: always goes on by your attempting or your opening yourself to align with the space of emptiness in which your teacher lives. And your teacher is always just, you know, showing you the places where you're filling up that emptiness with all sorts of excuses and illusions and distractions and, you know stories and everything else. So really, my teacher's work with me has, in 26 years, you know, I could probably write a book and tell you the various conversations that I had with him in 26 years, and I lived extremely close to him, you know, saw him four or five times a week. But, um, you know, that's not where it, really where I got the instruction. Where I got the instruction was, was studying his word um, and listening deeply within my own heart and being guided within. So mm. really, in that domain... It's still the same, if not more so.
0: Wow, well, I, I I I'm really touched that you that you were able to experience that closeness with the teacher. Yes, and our guest today is Regina Sarah Ryan, who's um, just written her um, new book called "Igniting the Inner Life," and I love the title of this book, Regina. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. It says everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd love to ask you just some random questions, but before I do that, I'll start off with um, Igniting the Inner Life and how this uh, title came about for you.
1: Well, actually, it came about uh, through my uh, previous book, which was called Praying Dangerously. Okay. And that book was about up-leveling our understanding of what prayer was. Some kind of a very childish relationship to, to begging for favors or, um, you know, using some kind of formula to kind of get us out of a, a difficult situation uh, into something that was really uh, a life, uh, a life work, uh, a type of practice of of, of praise, remembrance, uh, alignment, attunement, um, offering ourselves on behalf of others, that type of thing. So it's a it's about you know how dangerous it is to really make a commitment to um, to honor the words that it is that we that we pray, and then uh, so as I was writing that book, that phrase uh, "igniting the inner life" uh, came to me, and I actually used it as a chapter title in one of the books. In that book, and then um, and then as time went on, and I knew I needed to expand on the book "Praying Dangerously" and write another book when it was time, then that that phrase came about. Actually, the The whole idea is, for me, is the 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 more precise title should be, um, re, you know, rekindling the inner life because it's not like you actually ignite it; it's always burning. Sure. It's just that you kind of have to fan the fires.
0: But Mm -hmm. you
1: know, fanning the fires of the inner life wasn't as nice a title. So, right. (laughs) You know, because it's always there. It's, Mm -hmm. It's always there. It just has to be. This has to be renewed, and sometimes it feels as if it's gone out, but um, but really it, it doesn't, because um, as long as we're alive, we are, you know, the, the Buddha nature is ours, and the, the connection is ours, so it's a question of, of fanning those fires.
0: Sure, and I mean, that's also, I love that, because I mean, that's also based on interpretation and what we think you know, um, how we always probably need to feel, you know, in terms of what society's demands are.
1: Yes.
0: Um, you mentioned something, you were ta- when you were talking about the Baal tradition, I, there was something that was quite capturing there for me, in that the gypsy sort of style, that they don't have a lot of material things, correct?
1: The Baals, yeah. The Baals.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, are they actually in poverty then?
1: Well... You know, they depend very much upon uh, the resources of the communities at large that they serve. They'll go around and they'll sing and dance, creating uh, music that inspires the heart. It's a form of prayer. And then they'll pass the begging bowl. And they are supported by their their work, by their uh, praise of God. So you know, in this day and age, living here in the states, it's not really my practice to just um, pass the begging bowl and nothing else. Sure. I mean, it would be the the spirit of that, the spirit of radical reliance uh, on uh, on the you know the divine abundance is is really awesome, and some people have taken that up and lived that. But it's really a sense of of looking and recognizing, um, not necessarily at the financial level all the time, but how in my daily life can I just keep giving it up and keep resting in, relying on, trusting, um, whatever it is I call that, the place of source, the divine guidance, the -hmm. uh, the will of God. You know, people have different ways of, of talking about it. Because otherwise we spend um, we spend f- frantic amounts of energy, you know. Uh, as I say, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Um, and
0: <laughs> yeah, you said that. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean I'm not the first who said it. I got that from somebody else long <laughs> ago. I don't even remember who. Yeah. But you know what I mean. And, yes. and what we really want to do is we really want to go go to the lifeboat that that that's within. And in the Hindu tradition, the lifeboat is the Guru's sandals. In you know, in Buddhism, it's, uh, I guess, the remembrance of our Buddha nature um, and, you know, a rem- remembrance that we're never separate from anything in every moment. Mm. So, you know, going back to that source, what's at the core there, and um, that's kind of radical reliance that I'm I'm talking about, and I think that's what the Ba'uls uh, represent.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, what scares you? Death. Me too. <laughs> I'm glad you said that.
1: Yeah. Sickness, poverty, all the things that scare most people, you know, insecurity. So
0: you still have that fear? Oh, sure. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, I do. And, you know, I mean, until I don't, I mean, it would be so so foolish to, to try, and, try and say that I don't. Mm-hmm. And yet, um... It is every time those fears arise. There is my there is my choice point. There is my opportunity to practice, um, and and then I have my practice in the, in the midst of that. And my practice is just resting in what is as it is here and now, without denying it, and also without identifying it with it. To to let it arise without judgment and to simply tell the truth about it. Mm. So, yeah. So I'm a, I'm still a white knuckle flyer. You see me on airplanes I am like so. And, you know, airplanes are one of my best places for my practice. You know, I use them for I use them for, you know, just just resting in the heart for for making a making a prayer of surrender, I use it as an opportunity to remember all the people in those moments mm. who are, you know, who are really in who are you know in war zones and who are really having um, you know serious serious threats to life. So um,
0: right.
1: if nothing else, you know, it reminds me to connect with others to in Tonglen, to mm. to breathe and to connect with all those who suffer throughout the world.
0: And mm-hmm. Yes, you know, in Tonglen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I'll
1: maybe I'll transcend all of those fears in this life, and maybe I won't. And that's really not the point. The point is this: in this moment, will I, will I, you know, will I rest in g- kindness, generosity, compassion, and serve what's wanted and needed in this moment? My my thoughts and my feelings are irrelevant.
0: Mm.
1: They really are. Yeah. They mean nothing.
0: Actually, I had your book on the way down to Colorado. Uh, you know, early in December yeah. and I was reading it and they had mechanical problems on the airplane. Yeah. And you you started here, you know, started quoting Cho Trump Trungpa Rinpoche. And as I mentioned to you in our private conversation that, you know, Reggie Ray was, you know, is, uh, you know, his student. And I'm on the way there, like on the way, you know, down there. And I'm thinking, God, this Chogyam Trungpa gentleman's is just everywhere. And, <laughs> and and you've written about it, so I just thought I'd put that out there. That you know, since you mentioned airplanes, yeah. Um,
1: oh, I love his quote, his, his poem that says, "Death is certain, comes without warning. Mm-hmm. You too will be a corpse." Yeah. <laughs> okay, folks, you know, <laughs> this is a hard lump of reality on our plates, and mm. and. What are you going to do in this moment? Except you and I attempt to, you know, bridge um, bridge any divisions that might be there, and just express our, our joy with each other, and possibly make a difference in somebody else's life. So here we go. You know, if the plane mm-hmm. is going down. Let's have let's you know let's love. <laughs>
0: So, in closing, okay. <laughs> Regina, <laughs> in closing, we have a, f- a few minutes. Okay. What do you think the meaning of your life is?
1: Oh, my goodness. Somebody asked me that before. And? I, don't, I said it was a well-cooked omelet, but that, that, that person sort of laughed when I said that. Uh-huh. Oh, the meaning of my life. Well, I think the meaning of my life is to serve the next highest level of, uh, of creation I don't know what that is. It might be uh, to serve, um, to serve, and to serve the angelic uh, realm. It might be to serve the, level, the realm of the gods and goddesses, or some, or the absolute. Um, but I just know that in order to do that, I need to maximize what the gifts I've been given as a human being. That's my purpose. That's my meaning, and that part of that is to maximize this amazing consciousness which is not um, limited and um, for me to be able to rest in that and and move and work from that i think that serves both uh, those who share this this level of realm of existence with me and whatever is beyond us
0: Hmm. well that's beautifully said oh good (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time to share yourself with us on Drishti Point and the community here and uh, and uh, for coming, for just a, you, you, the visit. I love it that you're here the whole week.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: Yeah, and um, so uh, I really appreciate the time and getting to know you, and um So just to confirm for everyone tomorrow, Regina will be at Banyan Books for a book signing and talk from 6.30 to 8 p.m. And you can give them a call at 604-732-7912. And Wednesday and uh, Thursday, you'll be out in West Point Grey. I guess those discussions will be about the Ba'ul tradition. Some
1: of them, yeah. Some of them. And and about the book in general. Sure. Sure. Thursday, we have the Eternal Abundance yeah. program. And yeah. Saturday, yes, the following Saturday, okay. we have at the Yoga Studio Oh called, yeah. uh, Inner Space, Inner Space, Space yoga. yoga.
0: Yes, this is actually just uh, around the corner from Co-op Radio. And it's in Gastown at 247 Abbott Street. So you can contact Rebecca Walker. And uh, the talk is called Out There to In Here. I love the title. Great. Yeah, and that's InnerSpaceYoga.ca. Good. All right.
1: Oh, Lauren, it's been delightful. Thank you. I'm happy to meet you.
0: Okay. Well, thank you. And I'd like to um, dedicate this song to you because um, this is a version of Leonard Cohen's um, Alleluia, and it's by a, a local Vancouver yogi musician by the name of Will Blunderfield. And I hope that you uh, love his version as much as we do here. Great. And um, so uh, just one announcement. Um, there is a naturopathic doctor, Uh, Bobby Parmar, who's going to be talking about boosting your immunity and reducing stress, uh, alkalizing your diet and lifestyle, and that's by donation, and that's going to be, I think it's at the Rhodes Wellness College, yeah, on Howe Street. Um, And you can also contact uh, Bobby Parmar at Evolve Nurturing Vitality Clinic. You've listened to Drishti Point today, where my guest today was Regina Sarah Ryan, and I would... Recommend her bike, her book, Igniting the Inner Life, and she also has other readings on her site, com. Thank you. This is, um, Alleluia by Will Blunderfield. Have a beautiful day. Have Namaste. for listening to drishti point we dedicate our efforts to the health and happiness of our listeners and for the health and happiness of all living beings